Uh, good evening. Uh, tonight I want to talk to you about embracing change. How many of you love change? A few of you do. Some of us, some of us don't embrace it initially. We, we fight it, don't we? And, in, in, in order, it, and it is time for change. And in order to advance in any area of your life, including ministry and, and, and work and whatever area, every area of your life, we must embrace change if we, if we want to stay relevant. Amen? Now, it's no coincidence this week in the United States, we have sprang forward into uh, daylight savings time, right? So we, uh, we've, we've moved our clocks an hour forward. I don't know why we can't just keep our clocks an hour forward all year round. I like the extra hour daylight in, in the evening. And, you know, we don't, the first time that we see daylight savings, and I should make a little bit, a little bit of a joke here, but we see a miraculous daylight savings change in the book of Genesis. So we see daylight savings in the Torah when God caused the sun to supernaturally set ahead of schedule in the life of Jacob. Now you all remember in Genesis 20, 11, where Jacob fled from his brother Esau. Esau was out to kill him. And his mother directed him to go to, to, go to, her, uh, to her brother's house, to, to Laban's house. And it reads in Genesis 28, 11, and, and he came to a certain place. Can you say, and he came to a certain place? And he came to a certain place. And as we read the word, we're, becoming, we're allowing the word of God to be relevant in our lives. Amen? When you, when you read and you study and you meditate in God's word, you're not reading a document like a newspaper. You're not reading a magazine. You're not reading some historical uh, data even though there is history here, you're reading prophecy. And you're reading a prophecy of, and this is Genesis 28-11. When we're reading scripture, we're reading what's relevant in our lives today. Amen? Sister, do you have a question? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, is it possible that you can use the Oh, sure, definitely. Uh, you're welcome. Can I have that, uh, the one over here, please? Thank you. Oh, yeah, I'll use that one. That'll, that'll work. Oh, you're most welcome. Yeah. All right. So, um, as we read Gen Genesis twenty-eight eleven, and he came to a certain place, and stayed there that night. So, when he came to a certain place, that that he came to a place that's prophetic. And what? God, and when you read the Word of God, I want you to to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, because the Word of God speaks to people of all generations. Amen. It's relevant to your life at this very moment. Even in the midst of the coronavirus and the, and the, and the, the, the epidemic that's, that is plaguing the world, the Word of God is relevant to what's taking place right now. Amen? There is nothing new under the sun. And um, what I want to share, as you read God's Word, you are entering into God's purpose. The Holy Spirit is our helper, and he, He's the one that leads us into all truth. Amen? The Ruach HaKadosh is who He's called in Hebrew, the Spirit of God is going to help us and lead us into all truth. And he is our helper. He is our comforter. And even as Jesus relied upon the Holy Spirit, upon, it and, uh, upon his ministry upon the earth, we too must humble ourselves and rely on the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I encourage every one of you to, re to, to develop a relationship with the Spirit of God. Allow the Spirit of God to speak into your life and speak into your destiny. And allow him to guide you into all truth. If you're in fear right now because of what's taking place in the earth, spend more time with the Holy Spirit and with God's Word and less time watching, uh, watching the news. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And that may be a, a, little, a bit of a rebuke, but you know, we, we really need to spend time with God because the Lord is the one that can, can bring about the, the, uh, the, 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 the healing. Amen? Yeah. And the worst thing we can all do is panic and go into a frenzy and buy and go to the stores and buy everything and buy all the stuff that we think we need. Uh, I still don't, don't know how toilet paper is going to help a person with the coronavirus, but yeah. And so, but you, but you know, we, we, we all need to, this, this is a time that we need to be strong. And we, leave, and we see that through the lives of Esther, Mordecai, Moses, Miriam, and through the greats in the Bible. Amen? That, that we need to be a strength to one another. We need to support one another. If we know those that are infected, that we're there to pray for them and, and pray for divine healing. You know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is healing today as he was healing 2,000 years ago. Even as God healed Naaman from, from leprosy, 
God is healing today from every form of sickness. Amen. Amen. So I believe that by his stripes we're healed. Amen. And I believe we're going to see miracles and healings take place in the earth at a level we've never seen before. Even greater than the, 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 the days of the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. We're going to see the, the most incredible manifestation of God's spirit. And in this last move of God, it, man's not going to get the glory. God's going to get all the glory. Amen. Amen. God is going to get all the glory. And so what took place here in Genesis 28, 11, he came to a certain place. And when he came, there's a place that you're going to come to, and it's a place you're going to come to in your spirit, a place where you're going to come in your relationship with God, that you are going to have heavenly encounters with God. So Jacob came to that place. And when he came to that place, you know how Jacob knew he was in that place? God caused the sun to supernaturally set hours before the designated hour. See, it, this is not the first time that we see God intervening with, 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 the, with, the, um, you know, with, with, with the, um, the daytime. We see Joshua commanding the sun to stand still in the, in, in, in the battle. And here we see God causing the sun to supernaturally set so that he would cause Jacob to stay in that place. And he, and he, and he, lay, and he lay down to sleep in that place. He took 12 stones and put, positioned them around his head. He went to sleep, and God spoke to him in, in dreams. He, saw, he encountered heavenly visions. He saw angels ascending and descending upon a ladder that connected heaven to earth. The angels ascending were the angels that, were, that had finished their assignment. Because Jacob was leaving the promised land. He was, living, he was leaving the land of Israel. So the, the angels that were with him in, in Israel had now completed their assignment for a season. So they ascended back to heaven. And another camp of angels came down. And these angels were the angels that were going to accompany him into the land, uh, in, in, into, into the land of, of, of Laban, into, I believe it was the area of Syria. And so, uh, so he was always accompanied by a camp of angels. And that's prophetic for all of us because there are always angels around us. There are angels involved in every aspect of our lives. There are guardian angels assigned to us. There are angels on assignment. There are angels released when we worship God. There are angels released when we enter into intercession. It's through our engagement with the heavenly atmosphere that an, an, angelic activity is released. Many of us as Christians don't know that we, their angels are, are, that are, that are on assignment for us. Amen? We don't worship angels. We, 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 we don't have conversations with angels. We just know that Christ Jesus has commissioned angels on assignment. Amen? And so Jacob stayed in that place. And my, my prayer is that all of us are going to come and stand in that place. And we're going to lay in that place. And our lives are going to become so holy and so saturated with the anointing that you are going to experience heavenly visitations all the time. It could be in your sleep. It could be while you're working. It could be in your prayer time. But you, you are going to experience God in, your, in every aspect of your life. And you, you, and you may not hear an audible voice. There are very few people that hear the audible voice of God. We know the prophet Samuel heard the audible voice of God. We know that Moses heard the audible voice of God. But there are very few that hear God's audible voice. Um, when I hear God speak, it's just like in an instant, he, I've, I've, had, I've, received an, I've received an entire download or an entire conversation from, from God. And, and, and I know it's God that has spoken. And then I'll open the scriptures and God will confirm what he has spoken through the written word. Amen. Because everything that I hear... It must be anchored in the written word of God. Amen. And God will confirm his, and God will in, in turn, he will confirm his word with signs and wonders. Even tonight, after when we enter into the ministry tonight after the service, God will confirm his word with signs and wonders. Amen. He will confirm his word. And you will see you will see the outward manifestation of the anointing. That's why I encourage as many as possible to come to the service live right here at 1531 South Sinclair in Anaheim. We meet here every Thursday night around 7.45 p.m. That's when we, we get started. And, and just, just to be a part of it, be in the atmosphere, be in the heavenly atmosphere. Allow God to speak to you and allow God to minister to you because God will minister to your hurts. God will, I mean, God, God, God is, God is relevant. God is important, and God wants to be part of your life even more than you're willing to 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 receive Him. He so wants to be part of your life, Amen. So just just allow Him to allow Him to be part of it and invite Him in in everything. You know, I've heard so much. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was looking through all my emails today, work emails, personal emails, and um, and. I, and it's like every other message was from every company that I've dealt with that sent an email out about the coronavirus and what they're doing to protect their customers because everybody is in a panic. 
I spoke to my wife just uh, just before I came in in India, and and she, she's so worried about her return. I said, "Don't worry. You know, we we trust in God. We apply the blood of Jesus upon everything, and God is gonna take care of us. Amen. Amen. We rely upon divine providence. So now is the time to activate your faith. Amen. Yes. So Jacob stayed in a place because God caused the sun to supernaturally set. God's going to cause things to, uh, to change in your life to where he's going to cause you to hear his voice. And Holy Spirit, tonight I invite you to take over our lives. I invite you to invade every aspect of our lives. And I invite you to change circumstances to where we will take the time to listen to you and allow you to visit us in Jesus' name. Amen. So God, again, is going to cause change in your life through the increase of angelic activity. I'm prophesying that to you this evening. In embracing the Torah, embracing the Word of God through the lenses, through the lens of the rabbis, is going to cause the prophetic and the supernatural to increase in your life. You know, we, so I invite you tonight to to look through God, look into God's Word, but see it through the lens of the rabbis. One of the lens of the rabbis is when you read God's Word, you're not reading dead history. You're you're reading prophecy and you're reading prophecy how it even relates to your life at this very moment amen if it were not relevant to your destiny it would not be in the bible from Gen in the books from genesis through revelation amen and tonight i want to talk to you about embracing change because he is going to change times and seasons for his glory just as you see change in the earth happening at such a supernatural rate you know, we have entered into the 20s, haven't we? We're, we're, in, the, we're in 2020 this year. And I want, you, I want those of you that want to do this study, I'm going to give you an assignment if you, if you choose to accept it. And the assignment is, I want you to research what took place in the 1920s in the world. I want you to look at what happened as we moved into the, indus, into the Industrial Revolution. I want you to study all the things that were taking place. I want you to study the, 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 uh, the, the, the arising of anti-Semitism. I want you to study what happened with the Nuremberg trials. I mean, even prior to that, with, with the, Balfour, with the Balfour, Balfour Declaration. And then, and then I want you to co compare that to what is taking place right now in the 20s. You are going to be absolutely blown away over these next several years. You're going to be blown away by the relationship. Because we're seeing history re repeat itself. We are seeing such a move in the world in technology that, that's going to completely blow you away. I mean, it's happening at such a rapid pace. And you look and, and we see the same thing in the realm of the spirit. God is accelerating our knowledge and our understanding of his word like never before. I mean, because there's an acceleration taking place. And whatever you see taking place in the natural realm is a reflection of what's taking place in the realm of the spirit. Yeah. So I encourage every one of you, more than anything else, is to spend time in your Bible, spend time in God's Word, and spend time in prayer and seeking and, and developing your relationship with God. You know, I want, you to, want, you to, I want all of you to think about, I mean, all of you that are married or, or have been married, and, th and, and think about what your relationship would be like if you did not take time to develop that relationship. If you spend all your time working and never had time for your spouse or your kids, how is, how is your relationship going to be in a month, two months, six months, five years, ten years? Now, now I want you to take that same concept and apply it in your relationship with God. You know, how do you think Jesus feels when you, you have been following him for 20, 30 years and you still don't know him? Many of us don't even know that Jesus is Jewish. He was conceived, he was born, he was raised, he was crucified, he rose from the dead... He ascended to heaven and he's going to come back. He's going to come back again in the second coming. Jewish, yeah. right? So we need to understand him in, in his Jewish context. Amen? Yeah. And the question I'm going to ask you tonight is how do you handle change? I'm going to leave you with one question tonight. How do you handle change? You know, I'm just taking this from an article I read today. The, the coronavirus was declared a pandemic Wednesday, March 11th, that's yesterday for us, by the World Health Organization as cases spread to at least 114, 114 countries. Wow. The Wealth Health Organization has been assessing this outbreak around the clock and we are deeply concerned both by the alarming levels of spread and severity and by the alarming levels of inaction. And it go and it just you know it it says that it has reached more more than one hundred eighteen thousand people, causing at least four thousand two hundred two hundred and ninety one deaths. And and we and we can we can see how the world is reacting. 
in some of the ways people are reacting, it's almost, it's, it almost seems very tribal. And, and, and I think the main thing that we can do is not to panic. I'm not saying don't take precautions. I mean, I encourage every one of you to follow the medical advice, wash your hands frequently, and just, and, just, and just be careful. And if you're sick, stay at home. I mean, I mean it's just some common sense advice. But you know what? We, we, don't, we don't need to go in a frenzy. We don't need to run, uh, you know, we don't, we don't need to go crazy about this. We, we need to stay composed and support one another, amen? Because we, 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 we just need to remain calm and, 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 and really take time to, to, to be a light during this time. Amen. So this is the time that you, that your light can shine, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. And the way you embrace change will determine your credentials for leadership, and it will determine how it will it will just determine how God's going to use you. Amen. And tonight, what I what I was going I was what I'm going to teach you about in, in in embedded in this teaching is we're going to bridge the gap between Purim and Passover. You know, we have spent the last several weeks in this ministry. We spent the last ten weeks um, just in, just in, in, in. We've been in the book of. We've been in Esther, haven't we? We've been in, drenched in Purim, and we we have received so much revelation through the study of, of of Purim. And we've been in the book of Esther a lot. I've been. I think I spent the last few weeks at least in the book of Esther. But now we're we're bridging the gap, and I'm going to invite you all to embrace change with me, because we're going to bridge the gap between Purim and Passover. See, one thing I used to struggle with is, and is how do I how do I leave this high of Purim? Because Purim is really just an amazing feast. Then how do I tradition? I mean, how do I um, transition into Passover? And often we just we just stop, and then the next week it's all Passover. But tonight, I don't want you to handle going from one feast to the next feast, or from one glory to another glory without a transition, because there's there's a bridge. There is a bridge, a divine bridge, that connects Purim to Passover. We're connecting the Feast of Purim, which I believe also represents the second coming of Christ, and how Christ Jesus himself is who's going to bring down the Amalek, who is the Antichrist himself. Amen? And Passover represents the first coming of Christ, which represents Christ Jesus, the Messiah, Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the, of the earth, of the world. So we are coming into one of the holiest times uh, in the year, Passover. In Hebrew, it's called Pesach. We say Purim, but in, in Hebrew it's said Purim. So, uh, so let's begin with the credentials of leadership, and then we will compare and contrast the two feasts, because it will help us transition from one feast to the next feast. Because we all move from glory to glory, amen? Are you all excited about that? We, yeah. we, just, we just transition from one glory to the next glory and to the next. So and that's why God gave us the Hebrew calendar in, in Exodus chapter 12. Because God appointed a, a, Hebrew, a, Jew, a, a biblical calendar, a Jewish calendar. This shall be the beginning of months to you. So we are in the month of Adar right now. And, 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 and Monday night of this week what be, be, was the Feast of Adar. I mean the Feast of Purim. And, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to move into the month of Nisan. Nisan is the first month of the Hebrew calendar. It is the month in which the Jews came out of Egypt. It's the month in which they, uh, the Israelites struck the blood of the lambs upon the doorpost. And they came out of Egypt on the second day of Passover. The blood of Jesus was, 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 was placed upon the cross when Jesus was crucified. His blood was struck upon the cross upon the doorpost of the cross. Amen. And we have redemption. We have deliverance from our Egypt because of the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. So the credentials of leadership and also in order, to in order to embrace change, you must embrace who you are in God. Amen. So let's look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. And if you have it, please read it with me. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll give you a moment to get there. And we're going to talk about the credentials of leadership. The credentials of leadership is knowing who you are in God. The, the, the credentials of leadership are that you know what your purpose is. Because when you know who you are, nobody can shake you. When you know what your purpose is within the earth, nobody can shake you. Amen? So let's read this. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob. 
Now, when we read this, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. Okay, so what? So Moses, who's the author of Exodus, is telling us the names. But if you don't understand what the name means, this, is, this verse is not going to make a lot of sense to you. These are the names. Because the, and the, the name of the, we call the second book of the Bible Exodus. That's the Greek name from the Septuagint, which means Exodus. It means departure. The name that Moses gave the second book is Shemot. And the second book of the Bible called Shemot doesn't mean this, does not mean Exodus. The, the Hebrew name, the name that Moses gave it is Shemot or Shemos. And the word Shemot means names. Right? Can you say names? names. names. Now, in, in our Western mindset, when you speak about somebody's names, it's just a label. Right? It's just a label. So I, I, can, call, I can call each of you by, your, by the name your parents gave you or the name that you gave yourselves. But that's not, that's not the biblical concept of names. When, when, when you're given a name, that name defines who you are in God. It defines your purpose in the earth. It defines your high calling in God. Amen? So whenever God, and the book of Exodus doesn't begin with Exodus, it begins with names. So it, and and what, it's, what that means is no matter what you go through in life, no matter what plague you face, whether it's a coronavirus or whatever it may be, no matter what you face in the earth, you will not be affected because you know who you are in God. Yeah. And you know that God has placed you in the earth for such a time as this. Amen? So these are the names. These are the Shemot. So you know who you are in God. So by emphasizing names... It was demonstrating, Moses and was demonstrating that the Israelites knew who they were. Jacob knew who he was. His sons knew who they were. And in exile, what took place, the Israelites lost their ability to recognize their names. They, they, they were starting to forget who they were. But one thing they did right, they still kept their Hebrew names. But because of the back-breaking bondage, they, they, they forgot who they were as the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They forgot who they were in God because of the cruel subjugation they experienced under the, under the hand of Pharaoh. And what, what happens in our lives as well is, as we go through back-breaking back, back, back bondage, but you go through life, you go through all the trials of life, sometimes you forget who you are in God. Is it, have, you all, have any of you experienced that? Yes. We, cannot, we forget who we are. And tonight my prayer is that through this word, that the Spirit of God is going to build you, is going to raise you back up. And you, you, every one of you will know what your purpose is in the earth. Every one of you has a high calling in God. You know, the pulpit ministry, the ministry that, I'm do, that we're doing right now, this is temporary. This is maybe an hour, an hour and a half. But our main ministry is out in the world, Amen. And I want you to—I want you to recognize that you—you are beautiful—you are beautifully and wonderfully made in Christ Jesus. And God has a calling. God has a purpose. God is going to use you in the earth, Amen. And 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 don't keep your eyes on the plagues in the world. There's always going to be a plague in the world. I want you to keep your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith, Amen. And allow Him to use you, and and let let your light shine. Let your character show through, through, through being calm, through demonstrating love, to demonstrate help where you can demonstrate help, to, to really be a support for your neighbor, for your brother, for your sister, to be, to be there for each other. Amen? And the children of Israel needed help to actualize their potential. And that's why God raised up Moses. Moses was raised outside of the confines of slavery so he could help his brethren who were confined to slavery. Amen? There was a reason why God had ordained that he would be, he would be picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, Batia, and raised in Pharaoh's palace. And God used Moses to, to as a deliverer for the Jewish people. And so a person's name connotates their, uh, 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 his or her purpose in life. Now, the word name in Hebrew is the name sh, um, is Shem. So, the Hebrew name for the book of uh, the second book of the Bible is Shemot, meaning names. And the word Shem is the Hebrew word for name. And there's another word that's related to Shem, and that's the word Shemama. Can you say it with me? Shemama. Shemama means desolation. Can you see that? You see that? We have the word Shem, which means name, and we see another word, which means desolation, the word Shem Amma. And what that's telling us, because 
it means that we are meant to take the darkness and despair of exile and give it meaning, value, and direction. Meaning that we must allow God to bring meaning to our pain. To allow God to use our pain for His glory. No matter what circumstance you go through, um, a, a, a family completely excluding you, no matter what you go through, I want you, uh, I want you to not allow that pain to become bitterness in your life, but, uh, but allow that pain to be used for His glory. Amen? See, when, G when Jesus crucified, He had those nail prints in, in His hands, and His feet, and His side. And when He rose from the dead, and He showed Himself to the disciples, and especially to, to Thomas, He still had those nail prints. He, he bears those nail prints for all eternity. So he, Jesus did not despise those scars. And I encourage every one of you, don't don't, do not despise the scars of destiny. Allow God to use that pain for His glory. Amen? I would rather live a life with pain and make a difference than live a life with no pain and make no impact in the earth. Amen. So don't run away from pain. Allow pain to be part of your, a part of your journey with God. And it's a part of embracing change. And the, these credentials of leadership were demonstrated by Esther, by Mordecai, and Moses. Let's look at Mordecai's credentials for leadership. And, and, and as, as we're reading these scriptures, I want you to think about, allow the Spirit of God to show you your credentials of leadership. And how you may have come to the place where you are right now. And how the, the, some of the choices you've made and the choices you've made for destiny, how they've made a difference in your life right now. Amen? Let's look at Esther chapter 2, verse 7 and verse 11. I'm going to invite you to read these two verses with me. Esther chapter 2, verse 7. I'm sorry. Yeah, Esther chapter 2, verse 7 and 11. And when you have it, please say amen. amen. All right, let's read. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. And verse 11, And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. Now, I'm going to ask um, one of you to go to the book of, Ex go, go to the book of Exodus, I'm going to ask you, uh, Rebetz and Monica, if you would do that. Go to the book of e Exodus and look at the scripture after Moses was placed in the, in, in, the, in the little ark and placed in the water. Who walked along the river bank and to see how he did? And it was Miriam. And one thing we see Mordecai doing here, his credential for leadership is that he took responsibility for Esther. I mean, look at verses 2 and 11. It keeps repeating the same thing over and over again because the Holy Spirit is emphasizing the character quality of Mordecai that made him worthy of the calling God had on his life. He took responsibility for something somebody else. He took responsibility for his orphan cousin, Esther. And every one of you has that credential for leadership. And, and it's that one quality that's going to that's gonna be the guiding principle for your destiny throughout your life. For David, I believe it was his humility. For Esther, it was, we're going to see what Esther's was right now. And actually, um, I want, Rebecca and Monica, when you have that, please, please let me know. So, and then we see Esther's credentials for leadership in Esther chapter 2, verse 10. Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. And so Esther's credentials for leadership was her obedience, right? The reason why her ancestor Saul lost his destiny was because of his lack of obedience. And Esther rectified, repaired the, rem the, the damage caused by her ancestor Saul. Do you all see that? So in your own life, look at the qualities that have brought you to the place where you are and the, the, the qualities that are going to bring you to the place where God has taken you. See, don't, don't overcomplicate destiny. There are very simple character traits that will bring you into God's high calling in your life. Amen? And, and for, for, for Esther, it was humility. For Mordecai, it was taking responsibility. And in your life, what, what are the qualities that will, that will bring you into destiny? Amen? Amen? 
and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm gonna step out of my notes for a second. Let, let's go to the book of Exodus, and I I think it's Exodus two. Exodus two, three, three, five. Thank you so much. Exodus chapter two, verses three, four, and five. And it says, when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. So the child was put in a type of ark. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister, who's Miriam, stood afar off to wit what would be done with him. And the daughter of Pharaoh uh, picked him up. And I'm not going to talk about that so much tonight. But we see even Miriam coming there uh, to, the, to the scene, and she recommended the Pharaoh's daughter that let's have one of the Hebrew women take care of the child. See, see she was, she's like a Mordecai. We see, we see Miriam in the this, in this story of Passover like the Mordecai in the story of Esther. Because Mordecai is guiding Esther's destiny. Miriam is guiding Moses, her brother's destiny. Isn't that awesome? Yes. See, we're transitioning, and don't let it be an, 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 uh, it's not an abrupt transition, it's a smooth transition from Purim into Passover. Do you all see that? Mm-hmm. And then, another thing that we see is, and, and as we embrace changes, in Esther chapter 4, 15 and 16, then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer, go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. See, Esther had to make a painful transition. And we must embrace change, right? So Esther embraced the change, and that change was her role she had to change from being passive to be active. And there are times that we must transition from being passive into our more active role. And, and now we see a role reversal take place within the story of Esther. Now Esther is calling the shots and Mordecai is taking a passive role. Because yep. Esther has moved into her destiny-defining moment. And there are times where you are called to be passive, but there are times where God is calling you to arise and, 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 and really act during this, the time that God is calling you to act. Amen? Amen. And she's taking responsibility for the Jewish people. What, what about Moses' credentials for leadership? Because in order to embrace change, you must embrace who you are in God. And, and that is how you will obtain your credentials for leadership. Let's look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And it came to pass in those days... When Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And, and you know, many of us mis- misinterpret the scripture. You know, here, here, is, here is Moses, or Moshe in Hebrew. Moshe, is, he's, he's, he's in his royal garments. He, he's royalty, probably second to Pharaoh in, in the palace. And he actually was in charge of, of the palace. And he goes out, and he was grown, so we think, okay, now he's, a, now he's an adult, he's a grown man. That's what we think, don't, don't we? And then he looks, on his, he looks on the burdens, and he sees an Egyptian spiting a Hebrew, and he kills the Egyptian. So then we think, we, we, we think that Moses is a murderer. And if that's your interpretation, you're missing what the Holy Spirit is wow. teaching. Amen? Because what Moses was going through, this was Moses' destiny-defining moment. This, this was the defining moment that would, that would determine Moses' credentials for leadership. This was his test to show that he was ready for destiny. And every one of us is going to be tested. And we're not tested to, so that God knows whether we're ready or not. God already knows. He knows the end from the beginning. It's, we are tested so that we know who we are and that we know that we are ready. Amen? That's how merciful God is. See, God doesn't just throw us into the fire. He prepares us for the fire. Amen? So one of Moses' tests, one of Moses' first tests as a leader was the test of growing up. So when it says that he was grown, it doesn't mean that he was 20 years old, 30, year old, 30 year, years old, whatever grown up means in, within the context of Egyptian culture. It means that he was spiritually mature, but not just spiritually, also he was matured in his character. See, I always share this in, 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 in Torah services. 
where if we look at, and I use the example of Joseph, the son of Jacob. J Joseph walked in such a place where he, he had prophetic dreams. God spoke to him. He, read, he ran all the business affairs of his father, Jacob. He was, he was a genius. He was absolutely brilliant. He was incredibly anointed. He had these most amazing prophetic dreams, right? But you know what? His character had not risen to the level of his anointing because he always spoke Loshim Hora. He always spoke evil, uh, evil about his brothers. So his character was still not so high. So he had to go through years and years of testing to refine his character to where his character was lined up with his anointing, right? And so where Moses was grown, his character and his anointing were in alignment. And that's the place where God's going to bring us. That's why we study God's Word. That's why we come together every week to study His Torah. That's why we attend all the services we attend with, with, um, uh, uh, with, with Dr. Michelle Corral. It's be because we, we are being refined by God's calling in our lives. Amen? So it came to pass when Moses was grown. Scripture is not telling us that now Moses is an adult. The Torah is telling us that Moses had matured to full stature, both spiritually and emotionally. You can be at full stature at 12 years old. I mean, look at Jesus at age 12 entering the temple in Jerusalem. He was already at his full stature. But he, he wasn't until the age of 30 that he entered into his formal ministry. I mean, look at how many years Moses waited before God used him the way God used him. Now, the word grown in Hebrew is the word gadol. The word gadol can mean grown. It can mean to grow. It, it, it can mean to become great or important. It can be pr promote, to become more powerful, to magnify or do great things. I'll, I'll simplify the definition and say coming into, in, in, into your full stature in Christ Jesus. And one thing about Moses was, in order to deliver a slave... I believe you must be raised outside of the confines of slavery, yeah. right? Yeah. So Moses was raised outside of the confines of slavery because all the Israelites were bound in They had spent years and years and years confined to slavery. And at some point in this class, I'll even talk to you about the slavery and share with you not all the tribes were slaves in Egypt. The Levites were not slaves. Wow. And, the tri and the Joseph's tribes, Ephraim, at least, were not slaves in, in Egypt. They were actually part of, the, of, of, the, of the, even the military structure in, in Egypt. And, and that's how we answer the question, how did Joshua learn how to fight? He learned how to fight because he was in the Egyptian uh, army. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in more detail in the future. I just want to make sure you come back next time. All right? So, in order to be fully grown, you have to be able to you have to be in touch with the sufferings of God's people. Now, the temptation right now, and it's very interesting to see an epidemic affect the world on a global scale like we see right now. It's really interesting to watch how people react, isn't it? And what the temptation is, is that all of us run to all the stores that we can, Walmart, Costco, uh, Sam's Club, wherever, and, and, and Ralph's, Vons, wherever, and get all the water and all the toilet paper, all the supplies you can, and, and just stock them up in your homes and take care of yourselves only. That's the temptation, isn't it? So I, I'm going to challenge all of you in, is to do the very opposite and to share what you have. Amen? That we, that we be there for each other. And that we learn how to trust in divine providence. Wow. And that we learn how to pray for, for, for one another. Mm. Amen. Mm. And that we really become our brother's keeper. Yes. Oh. And that we don't, we don't turn an eye to those that are suffering, but that we are there for each other. Because mm. yes. the temptation is that we detach ourselves from the pain and suffering of others. Yes. You know what? If, 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 that's, if that's the choice that you make, then you have no reason for the anointing. Because the purpose of the anointing is to serve others. The purpose of the power of God in our lives is to minister to others. You do not receive the anointing of the Spirit of God just so that you can have a praise time at home. That's not the purpose of the anointing. The purpose of God's glory in your life is, is, that you, is for fellowship with God. And the purpose of the anointing is, that you, is for outward manifestation of God's Spirit, for healing and for, for, other, for others. Amen? Because the anointing in you will flow outward. 
And the glory is for your fellowship with God. See, the glory and the anointing are not the same thing. And we'll talk about that at a different teaching as well. So if you want to be used by God, I encourage you to, to connect with the suffering of others. And I believe God was testing Moses to see, to, to let him know that he was ready to be used by God. See, God did not need proof to, to determine if Moses was ready for the job, as I said earlier. God, are, God knows everything. God's going to know how you're going to act. God knew that Adam and Eve were going to eat of the forbidden fruit. It was not a revelation to God. When God entered the garden, when he asked Adam, where are you? He wasn't asking where... God was not playing hide-and-go-seek with, with, um, with Adam. He was, he was asking Adam, where are you spiritually? How could you do what you did? Where are you now? He was referring to the spiritual state of Adam. And I believe if Adam would have owned up and confessed his sin, God would have restored him. But he did not take ownership. What did he do? He, I mean, he did, he did a repent, but it wasn't, the kind of, it wasn't a full repentance like David. What did he do? He blamed his wife. And what did, what did his wife do? She, she blamed the servant. Nobody took responsibility. So the key is, and this is taught from the garden, is practice the skill, the art of repentance. And that will be for another teaching as well. All right. And so Moses, in addition, he, he passed the test. He lives up to his name. But you, you should, the question you should ask is, what does Moses' name mean? First thing I'm going to tell you, and that may shock you, that the name that Batya gave Moses, uh, gave, that Moses the name that Batya, the princess of Egypt, gave to Moses is the name Moshe. Can you say Moshe? Moshe. And the word Moshe is not a Hebrew word, even though it, it has become part of Hebrew. It is an Egyptian word. And the word Moshe means to draw out. And in order to become a leader, you must be in touch with people's sufferings, and you must be able to draw people out of their bondage. And that is how God used Moses in his 40-year ministry, is to draw people out. His entire ministry from day one to the very, his very last breath was to draw people out. So first he's used by God to draw them out of Egypt. And then, it, then his next assignment, which is even harder, was to draw Egypt out of them. Because it's harder to, come, it's harder to get Egypt out of you than for you to get out of Egypt. And now when I say Egypt, I'm not speaking about the nation of Egypt in the Middle East. The word Egypt in the, in the, in the Hebrew sense means, it's the word Mitzrayim, and it, it means narrow, it speaks about a narrow place. It speaks about a place of restriction. And so God is going to bring you out of that narrow place. And when you, when, you, when you learn your name, and you learn your potential, and you learn about your high calling in Christ Jesus, guess what? You are, you are going to come out of Mitzrayim. You are going to come out of spiritual bondage and come into your destiny. Mm -hmm. Amen? And so as we conclude here, we're going to bridge the gap between Purim and Passover. And we, we've been studying about Purim for the last several weeks. I believe this entire series we've been talking about, uh, about Esther and talk about, uh, um, you know, and I, uh, all the struggles that Esther went through. And you can get all those former teachings on, on our YouTube channel at um, youtube.com slash user, I believe, slash destined for Torah. And, and you, can, you, can, you, can, you, can get, you can get the teachings there. And, we, and we've, been studying, we've been studying for Purim for many, many weeks, and now we're transitioning to the Feast of Passover. So as we bridge this gap, I want you to know that both of these feasts are, inter are intertwined by the miracles. But yet their miracles are different in nature. In Purim, we see, God's hidden, we see God's hidden miracles. We never see God's name mentioned a single time in the Megillah of Esther. It, it, the name is not mentioned. Go through the book of Esther, and I, I encourage all of you, either do a word search, or better yet, open up your, uh, your paper Bibles, and go through every single verse, every single chapter, from verse one, chapter 1 all the way to the very end, and, and, and find the name, find the word God mentioned. And if you don't find it in the translation that you use, find another translation. Then go to another translation, and another translation. And guess what? You will not find the name of God mentioned in the book of Esther. Because, why? Because God is working behind the scenes. Because the, the season of Purim, the feast that we're concluding, is a feast of God's hidden miracles. We never see God's name ever mentioned in the book. 
and God is orchestrating events for his glory. And, and he, God is already planning from the very beginning. He's already planned the deliverance of the Jewish people. Because God will not allow his people to be exterminated. Amen. There's no plague. There's no Amalek. There's no, there's no Haman. There's no Hitler that's going to annihilate the Jewish people. Because God is already at work. And when Mordecai rebuked Esther, he's telling Esther, God's going to save his people no matter what. But you have a choice to make. Are you going to be the instrument that God uses? Or is God going to bring deliverance through somebody else? So it's up to you. Because God has given each and every one of you free choice. Are you going to choose to be used by God? Or are you going to allow deliverance to come through somebody else? There are so many people that miss out on destiny because they don't heed the call of God. You know, Catherine Kuhlman used to say that the reason why she's preaching is because a man refused the assignment. So I don't know if that, I mean, uh, that's what she believed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one thing I do know is if you say no to God's calling in your life, God God has a backup plan. Amen. God already knows the end from the beginning. But I encourage every one of you, don't, don't, don't miss the opportunities that God will lay before you. And God is so merciful. If you miss it, don't worry about it. God will give you another chance. You know, one thing I can joke about is God gives us unlimited retries. And so, and, and if it can, we're going to leave the questions till the very, until the end. So in Passover, we see God's open miracles, don't we? We see God, and so, it, it, uh, to contrast, Parim, God's hidden miracles, God's working behind the scene. And as we transition to Passover, we see God's open miracles. We see God open, openly displaying his power by the plagues he inflicted upon the Egyptians. We see the parting of the Red Sea. We see the ten plagues. We see, we see God's open hand. Everybody saw the plagues of frogs. Everyone saw the death of the firstborn. Everyone saw the plague of darkness. Everyone saw the, the waters in the Nile uh, and all the waters turned into blood. That there, was no, there was no fresh water in the land for, 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 for the Egyptians. So in both feasts, we see God's miracles, don't we? I mean, God's saving all of Jewry from extermination in, in the entire Persian Empire in 127 provinces is a huge miracle. It's a huge miracle, even bigger than the miracle that took place in Nazi Germany. It's a huge miracle. Whether it's Haman in the book of Esther or Hitler in Nazi Germany, God is in control and God will bring deliverance. Amen? And so we, we, see, we, see, miracles and we see miracles in both feasts, but the difference is hidden miracles in Purim, open miracles in Passover. And that one of the themes that, that bridges the Purim and Passover together is the theme is the key to your destiny. Amen? The theme that bridges the Feast of Purim and the Feast of Passover is the redemption. In Passover, we see, we see, uh, we, we, we see, we see the blood. We see the first redemption. In Purim, which is in the last month of the Hebrew calendar, the month of Adar, represents the final redemption. So I believe, I believe Passover represents the first coming of Christ Jesus. And Purim celebrates the second coming of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the fulfillment of both feasts. In, in the feast of... The redemp- we see redemption and Passover was complete and irreversible. And Pharaoh is no longer king. See, when they came out of Egypt... Pharaoh drowned in the, in the Sea of Reeds, in the Red Sea. In Purim, there's, there's, we, 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 still, we, we still see Veros, But when Christ Jesus comes, he, he will reign forever. Amen? Amen? Now another concept I want to embed in this teaching, because it's very much intertwined with all the Torah teaching I give you. It's turned into something, I, I think I repeat this more than anything in, in the classes, and it's what I call the teeter-totter principle. Can you all say it with me? The teeter-totter principle. I just love to say that. I mean, have any of you? I mean, have you played teeter-totter, or a, we call it, or, or a seesaw? And we find this. I think the first place we see this is in Genesis twenty-five, twenty-three, and it's the word that God gave to Rebecca because uh, because both there were twins in her womb. Esau and Jacob were in her womb. And the struggle was so strong and the pains were so great, she went to a prophet. And the prophet told her, 
who was most likely was probably Shem. And the prophet said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. The elder is Esau, the younger is Jacob. And when one arises, the other will descend. Because it's the, I'm calling it the teeter-totter teeter -totter principle. And then, so when Esau arises, Jacob will diminish. When Jacob arises, because they're walking, they're walking in the Torah, they're walking with God, Jacob will arise and Esau will descend. But in the end, Jacob will triumph. Amen? And then when you look at Genesis 33, verse 12 through 14, and, and it says, this is when Jacob and Esau met. This is their, this is their brotherly reunion. And I'm saying that you know, kind of a, in, a, in a mocking way. And it, and it says, and it reads, And he said, Let us take our journey, and let us go, and I will go before you. And he said to him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men shall overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord, I pray you, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure until I come unto the land, unto my Lord in Seir. To summarize part of what Jacob is saying, it's saying, I must de I'm decreasing right now, and you're increasing, and in the end, I will triumph. Because he says, in the end, I will come unto my Lord in Seir. Seir was the inhabitation, uh, it was the place of the Edomites, the place of Esau's descendants. And what Jacob is saying, right now, you, 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 you're, you're, you're higher up on, on the teeter-totter. You're up and I'm down. But in the end, when Messiah comes, Messiah will destroy you. Meaning that Messiah will destroy Antichrist. And in the end, Israel will triumph. Amen? And the concept is, when one decreases, the other increases. In the end, Jacob will triumph. We see the teeter-totter principle in Megillat Esther, in the scroll of Esther. Because we see this conflict between Haman and Mordecai. It's a tremendous, it's an awesome struggle between the two. Esther 5.9 says, Then when Haman, so then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a, with a glad heart. He's rejoicing. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. See, what's taking place here? Haman is increasing. He's increasing in power. He's like the prime minister of the Persian Empire. He, he, he has risen up. And, he, and, he, and, he's, he's, and, and Mordecai has decreased. Do you see that? Haman is of the seed of Esau. He's of the Amalekite bloodline. Amalek was a grandson of Esau. Mordecai is a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin, and Benjamin was the twelfth son of Jacob. So do you see that teeter-totter principle in effect? Then, then we look at Esther chapter 3, verse 1, 5, and 10. Haman has decreased, and Mordecai increases. It's the teeter-totter principle. Neither one, they're never on equal ground. Either one, is, one ascends, and the other descends. And after those things, did Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him. Then in verse 5, then Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not. And he was full of wrath. And, and uh, then we go to Ex, uh, I'm sorry, Esther chapter 6, verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that you have spoken. Now we see a transition. Haman decreases and Mordecai increases. Esau decreases, Jacob increases. And we see it again in Esther chapter 8. And we see it in Esther chapter 9, through, through the rest of the, the Megillah of Esther. Haman decreases, Esther, I mean, uh, yeah, Haman decreases, Mordecai increases, and he's promoted. And, we, and in the end, Mordecai waxes great. And his name is mentioned seven times in Esther chapter 9. See, that is not coincidence, and that's not re being redundant. God is emphasizing how God elevates those that, that, laid it, that will sacrifice their lives for Him. Amen? Amen? Now, while both Purim and Passover commemorate 
incredible occasions of divine deliverance, their stories are extremely different, right? So let's go ahead and start. We'll talk about Passover again, and I know I'm repeating things here. During Passover, we see the Egyptian exile. We see the Jews con condemned to an existence of slavery, and they were at the mercy of their evil tyrant, their leader, Pharaoh. And their socioeconomic status could not be lower. See, Egypt had a, had a, class, uh, had a class system. It had a stratified system. And at the bottom of the hierarchy were the slaves. So the, the, so they, the Jews, the, the Israelites, had no social status in Egypt. They were at the very bottom. I mean, they would really become the untouchables of Egypt. They were at the very bottom of the this, of this, of this stratified structure. And of course, Pharaoh is, is at the very top. And the path to liberation to freedom was quite different. And so it was through the ten plagues, the splitting of the Red Sea, the destruction, the destruction that took place in Egypt, that we see God's hand being recognized by all. One of the Midrashic commentaries, one of the, one of the rabbinic commentaries says, says that when God split the sea, he did not just split the sea that we call the Red Sea. The more accurate name is the Sea of Reeds. God did not just split one sea. He split the seas of the entire world at that moment. Wow. And the Red Sea was not split to one lane. It was split into 12 lanes, one lane for each tribe in Israel. Oh, wow. And during Passover, God interfered with the rules of nature that he had set up at creation. And nature was an obstruction to divine revelation. And when these miracles took place, the fear of God fell upon the nations of the earth. When Amalek attacked the Jews after they crossed the Red Sea, that is when the fear of God departed. Because what Amalek's goal is, the spirit of Amalek, the goal of the Antichrist spirit, is to quench your fire and your fervor and your fear of God. Now let's look at Purim. Let's, look, let's contrast Passover with the um, settings of ancient Persia. In Persia, the Jews were not slaves. They were not at the bottom of the social economic structure. The Jews enjoyed religious freedom. They had prosperity and acceptance in, in, in society. Yeah. And they, they were so accepted, they were invited to participate in the royal feast of King Ahasuerus. Mm -hmm. You see, it's a different type of, it's a different, different set of setting. No matter what setting the Jews are in, God always, pre pre always prepares a remedy before the attack. God already had the deliverance in mind. No matter what circumstance you're in, no matter where you are in the socio-economic um, st uh, uh, system of, of the nation you live in, God, will, God, always, God always has a plan uh, for your deliverance. Amen? Amen. So, in Pharaoh's Egypt and Haman's Persia, the Jewish people faced the threat of, an, of annihilation. Right? Whether they're slaves or in, in high positions, they, 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 both, they, needed, they needed deliverance in both circumstances. And the Megillah of Esther is so incredible because it, it, it can be read as a, a typical palace intrigue. I mean, it's just so interesting, interesting to read of what's taking place in the palace and the conversations that must have been taking place. You know, it reminds me of what's taking place. You know, all those stories when we, when we, when we hear about Prince Harry and Princess Meghan and, and the departure from palace service and all the conversations that must be taking place in Buckingham Palace. I mean, just all the intrigue and all the excitement. We, we all want to know what's taking place. I want you to take that same curiosity and apply it to what's taking place. What took place in Pharaoh's palace in the Passover story? What was taking place in the palace of Persia during the Esther story? I mean, it's just so filled with intrigue. And we see God's open miracles in Passover and God's hidden miracles in Purim. I want you all to be open to both types of miracles. Because we're transitioning now from hidden miracles to God's open miracles. You know, whenever we come to a service and we see miracles take place, and we see people come to the service and say, you know, God healed me from cancer. Here's the doctor's report showing that, that, that I'm healed. You know, th that is a confirmation of God's open miracles. And yet there's some miracles that are hidden miracles. I mean, how many times could you have been in a car accident, but God protected you? That's God working behind the scenes and protecting you. No matter how small or how big the, scale, uh, the, the miracle is, God is working behind the scenes. 
your child gets accepted to a college they should not have been accepted to because their grades were not high enough or they didn't have the right credentials. That's God moving behind the scenes. Amen. And so as we celebrate these two holidays, we are going to experience the miracles that are, that are open. And, we, and then we're going to see the miracles where God is moving behind the scenes. Hidden miracles, God is working within, within the confines of nature. Open miracles, God changes the laws of creation and intervenes with open miracles. I, I encourage everyone, even I pray that your faith has been built tonight to where you can trust God for him to move in your life in both hidden and open ways. Because I want you to be so open to divine intervention in your life. And even as we're seeing the markets, they, they look, I, I think it's all just noise. The name Haman is very similar to another Hebrew word that sounds like Haman. And the word means noise. I believe what we're seeing in the world today is just noise. And the world feeds upon noise. They feed upon negativity. The news, the, I mean, every, I mean we, we all feed upon that noise. But I want you to now to put on your Bose headsets, turn on that noise cancellation feature, and don't pay attention to the hummus around you. And, and listen to that still, silent voice and allow God to speak to you and allow the prophetic voice to speak to you and, 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 and let, let, God, let God arise and let your enemies be scattered. Amen? Let God arise and may your enemies be scattered. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Amen.